0: Sim
1: Hi there and welcome to Voicebox, your weekly exploration of the art of singing and the best of the vocal music scene. I'm your host, Chloe Veltman. Thanks for tuning in this evening. This show comes to you, not from San Francisco, but from another great American city on the other side of the country, Boston. I'm standing at Faneuil Hall, checking out the street music scene. Faneuil Hall has served as a marketplace and meeting space in Boston since 1742 and a lot of portentous things have happened here. It was the locus of very important speeches by people like Samuel Adams to gain support for independence from Great Britain and the historical site is sometimes referred to as the Cradle of Liberty. It's one of the most visited tourist destinations in the United States. Faneuil Hall also happens to be one of the premier spots in the country to hear street musicians perform. The wide array of musical acts that can be regularly heard here include Similar Jones, a six-person rock a cappella vocal group, Cahill, which is an indie rock duo, and the college fund band, a pop trio consisting of teenage brothers Dan and Jack Gant and their mom Debbie, who all sing as well as play instruments. I've travelled to Boston to hear and talk with a couple of performers in particular, though. They've just started playing here now. Let's listen.
0: What a wreck of a day, what a wreck of a man I've become. What a thing to say, but I said it, I couldn't ride. I tried to on myself by my desire, I follow a dream to its grave, but for all Attention to bury myself. I beg and I'm pleading to stay. What a price to pay, what a price to pay for wicked pride. What a foolish way of abandoning all that you tried. No, answer, life for us on a leash, I was sure I was born with the house, kissing all of the ways I burying myself, a dog's taken. All of the ways myself I am rising up out of the ground
1: Hi there, if you've just joined me, welcome. This is Voicebox and I'm Chloe Veltman. Tonight's show is brought to you from Boston's Faneuil Hall, where I'm checking out the street music scene. We just heard Paul Wright and Tim Harrington, who together make up the voice, guitar and cello duo Tall Heights. Tim and Paul are often to be found here at Faneuil Hall singing and playing to the crowds. Hi, Tim and Paul. Thanks for taking time out of your performance schedule to chat with me today.
2: Hi, Thank Chloe. You for thanks having for having us.
1: What What's the vibe like for you guys here today? Is it uh, a good scene, more or less?
2: Well, it's a bit hot today, to be honest, and it um, doesn't bode so well for us, but it's a weekend, so there are lots of people out, so we're hoping for the best.
3: Yeah, this is a great scene. The weekend has got a great energy, and um, yeah, we... Obviously, when it comes to street performing, a lot of it has to do with money, but also it should be a great day for enthusiasm and, and just a good performance as well.
1: Where else do you play besides Faneuil Hall? Street performing-wise. Anything-wise.
3: So we uh, like to tour around as much as possible uh, during the summer. Because of Faneuil Hall, we we stick close to the marketplace so that we can you know fill out our income with some uh, street street performing. But on the off season we like to travel down to you know, points north or up to points north and in March we went down to uh south by southwest and back, uh which was a month long tour over the over March two thousand twelve. So yeah, we our stronger markets are obviously Boston, but New York, D C, Portland, Maine, Burlington, Vermont. And uh we have plans to get out to the West Coast in November. We'll be out there on, uh, in uh, November.
1: I mean, we're just talking about street performing here, or you're pl- playing in some clubs too, right? In other kinds of venues, house concerts. Can you tell me a bit about that?
2: About house concerts in general, or just
1: yeah, and, and also you performed at Club Passim right here, which is a really important um, folk venue uh, for my Bay Area listeners. It's sort of equivalent to the Freight and Salvage in Berkeley.
2: Sure. Passim's been a great spot for us and when we were first starting out it was you know, a big goal to get in there and now it is definitely one of our go-to places for a record release or for a big show. When we finished our tour down to South by Southwest we came home and we did a, a show uh, at Club Passim and it's just a great listening room vibe and also one of the more prestigious rooms in the area. Um, So that's been good to us. There are a few other small listening rooms in the Boston area we like to hit. Um, And we have done a a good number of house concerts and and, um, private listening room shows uh, around Boston and around New England in general.
1: So what constitutes a good day for you here at Faneuil Hall? When, when, When do you feel like your time spent here has been spent well?
3: That's an interesting question. Uh, and unfortunately, at the end of the day for street performers, we would probably all agree that the most important, um, you know, gauge of success is, is the coin bucket. You know, how much money we collected. Um, and, you know, without going into how much we're looking for per day, we do this uh. S- solely through the summer. And it is how we pay our rent and utilities. And so it is very important for us to be making enough money to to survive. Um, so other than money, uh, just playing well is feels good always. And uh, getting some good crowd response, getting a few uh, young, excited uh, listeners to sign the email list or you know say i 'll come see you when I, when you come to my hometown because you know here at faniel hall we 're finding people from all over the all over the globe so that 's great that 's very rewarding um, and we also find it very rewarding to debut new songs out here because it 's a nice low stakes environment where nobody knows that we 're playing a song for the first time and it 's a great place to work out kinks and we both agree that when we debut a new song and when it goes all right. Uh, that that shift is somehow uh, more meaningful to us.
1: All right, I think I'd like to pause our conversation for a moment to tell the story of how the three of us met. It was at the South by Southwestville in Austin this past March, right? That's right. Uh, I remember it was raining and I was walking around the convention center in downtown Austin searching for my bike, which I knew I'd locked up somewhere around there. And all of a sudden, I hear this amazingly powerful yet ethereal sound coming at me. And it immediately struck me as weird because you don't normally experience two guys singing together way up high in their vocal registers for extended periods of time, at least not in rock or folk music. And that's what I was hearing. Um, I turned the corner and that was when I first sighted Tim and Paul making music outside the Austin Convention Centre. And I was immediately hooked on their sound and I basically became a groupie for the week. So it's great to reconnect with this pair of up and coming musicians in Boston and get to hear them on home turf. Um, It's the way that you guys use your voices that first hooked me. So let's talk about voice for a bit. Um, Do you guys, have you guys, either of you or both of you taken any singing lessons or are you all self-taught and and if so, or in in either case, do you have any particular inspirations vocal music wise?
3: I think our story is somewhat typical in that we started singing, uh, you know, without any previous vocal training and then as uh, demand for more performances went up, uh, the um, need for training became more obvious in that bad habits and and uh... detrimental behaviors become very very obvious when you're playing several hours or several days in a row um, so uh... we started doing some vocal training uh... together w- we would go to mark baxter
1: so any particular vocal music inspirations for you in terms of your style think um, maybe particular artists you emulate or you're really just not paying attention to what anyone else is doing and very much thinking about your own sound
2: there are certainly a number of artists that have influenced our vocal style over the years and they tend to be the artists in our genre we're most excited about so over the years that has included people like Bon Iver and Gregory Allen Isaacoff and um Laura Marling and Jeff Buckley, uh, to name a few. Um, I don't think, and this is in part Mark's influence, we don't go trying to sound like other people vocally. The focus is very much on sounding like ourselves and, and you know, letting that our natural, uh, the natural quality of our voice really shine through. But in terms of writing and where in our range, that certainly, like uh, you know, um, it is certainly influenced by by other artists.
1: So the falsetto thing, I don't even I don't even like that word. Sometimes I mean the high register, the high range stuff you do. I mean, it's what really caught my ear for for the first time. Um, do you find your voices sit naturally up there, or uh is it something you, that feels kind of effortful for you, and why why do you like to sing up there so much? We
3: uh try not to think of it in register and you know and I agree with you that word falsetto is a is a bit of a of a tough one uh just because. We, we, we like to think of it more in, in terms of like colors or painting, you know, in that uh, we are trying to create some sort of image or uh, painting on the canvas. And uh, to create that, s- certain colors are are necessary. And, uh, you know, up high in the range happens to be one of our favorites. Um, but, you know, just being high, is that's like, you know, pitch, frequency kind of thing. But then on top of that, you can have... Uh, you know, the volume, you know, is it a quiet note? Is it a loud note? Are we are we trying to make it more of a, a melancholy moment or more of a powerful, uh, you know, ch- giving you chills kind of moment? Uh, so it is, it's really variable even within that range in the higher register. Um, and it's all about the end goal of, of painting this picture.
2: When we first started writing together, Tim had... That, that ranger talking about that you know, falsetto um, style, he really had it down and I couldn't make a noise up there. Um, and so it, it was from all these bad habits I had developed over the years from singing and it took a while to get that back. But yeah, I think it's safe to say we both like singing up there.
1: Does one of you always sing the higher of the two parts when you're harmonizing? Is it always the same person or do you switch around in terms of who's above and below in terms of the harmonies?
3: Well, I'd say at the beginning it was we were kind of thinking of the roles being uh, I would take the higher parts, Paul would take the lower parts. That certainly hasn't been the case in our newer material. Uh, I think at this point in time we're a lot less concerned about who's singing what part and uh, much more invested in trying to confuse the listener as to who's singing what. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I know when I listen to uh, to your music the recordings I have I can't tell who's who's singing which line. Yeah. But but yeah, the timbre of your voice is very distinctive. I think I just need to perhaps get to listen more carefully or get to know get to know more carefully your voices. What about singing with amplification versus not with amplification? I mean, here in in Faneuil Hall or outside Faneuil Hall when you're singing on the streets here you're using amplification, right? And how does that impact um, your, the quality of what you're doing versus in a small cafe, say, like where I saw you in, in Austin, and I don't think you had mics then, or did you? Yeah, no, you did. Um, I mean, can you? would you be able to sing out here, outside without mics, do you think?
2: Well, when you saw us on the street there for when we first met, I think that was the only time we street performed without amplification. Um, we could do it out here, but it wouldn't go well. Uh, in fact I don't think it was going that well in Austin with the exception of meeting you I think of it in a way as um, and this is only part of it contributing to the size of the stage you're on right so if you see somebody playing in a huge club on a big stage um, there's a certain amount of respect and uh, oh I should probably pay attention to this that you uh, assign to the performer whereas out here with no stage at all Plenty of people walk by um, and probably don't listen at all because they, you know, assume it's just street performers getting their angst out. But um, the the PA and having the sound system and being louder, uh, in a way, contributes to, it, it amounts to elevating ourselves onto a bit of a stage, right? People hear it from further away. They stop, they listen, and, you know, in a way, it's a bit more serious to have a speaker out here and reverb and microphones, uh, I think people um, recognize that we didn't just pull a car over, hop out and start busking. Um, so I think people just um, give us a little bit more respect.
1: Are there limits to the amount of noise you're allowed to make here? Do you ever get complaints or is, do you, have you ever heard of stories of people playing too loudly and getting into trouble?
3: Yeah, so this marketplace is being the you know, cradle of freedom. I think you called it. Uh, you know, is you know a huge tourist magnet, which means it is also a huge magnet for vendors and and performers. Everybody's just trying to squeeze a buck out of the out of the tourists. Uh, so there is a certain amount of competition that goes on. In uh, sound space is one of those things. So uh, in one spot in particular where we'll perform over here, there's a certain vendor who believes that if our music is up past a certain decibel level, he can no longer uh, sell his product to passing, uh, pedestrians. We happen to disagree (laughs) with him, uh, and we like to try to avoid that spot.
1: So how, uh, you avoid the spot, that's your, that's your way of dealing with it?
3: Uh, yeah, sometimes we'll get a little, uh, a little mouthy with him, you know, uh, that doesn't really work. He, he wins because unfortunately, if he, if he complains enough to our supervisor, we'll, uh, potentially get kicked out of this program. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we try to make sure that we are playing in the right spots always, and, and part of that is definitely making sure that we're surrounded by vendors who realize that we are actually helping them by bringing a crowd to the, in their general vicinity and, and uh, you know, kind of creating some, some uh, audience for them to try to sell to. I think it works. It's symbiotic if you have the right mentality. <laughs>
1: The, do you know uh, this, this idea of, of the musicians helping the vendors and the vendors helping the musicians? And this is sort of an ecosystem that's supposed to work all together. I mean, is that actually true? I mean, do you think there really is truth to that? Uh, it's not just a thing that people, apocryphal, that people say? I mean...
2: Well, I think there are, are certain vendors, and there's really one guy in particular who, who just goes out of his way to make us um, you know, feel good about what we're doing and brings us lemonade, and he's just the man. Um, when Tim was saying symbiotic relationship, I was thinking, you know, for for most of the vendors, it's perhaps more a bit parasitic or they just, um, they won't, you know, come after our crowd, but they're not really doing anything for us, um, and I'm, uh, I'm not sure people are coming for them. Um, that said, you know, if we're out here and we want to grab a water or something to drink or something to eat, there is a certain amount of, hey, you work here, I work here. Um, we can share things, and likewise, we will give CDs out for, to free to people who work here. Um, we sometimes worry that people who are here you know working at these restaurants, hearing our set every day will start getting sick of us, so we try to keep them happy and say, you know if you ever get sick of a song, just let us know we 'll you know keep it keep it to a minimum when you 're working
3: especially with some of these restaurants around here with the outdoor patio seating uh, the the restaurant managers will. Try to give us as much respect as they can. Uh, you know whether that is offering us drinks or water or you know their bathrooms even. Um, because with these outdoor patios, people will walk by uh, us playing and see this this seating area where they can have dinner and say, "I'm going to eat there because we can sit out there and listen to the music." And and I know for a fact that that happens all the time whenever we're playing out in these in these areas near the outdoor seating. And so I I have to. Just imagine how much money we're making for them because because they're because of the consumer's decision to eat at that particular place because of the street performance.
1: Um, but also, it must be the case that the, ra- the restaurants are helping your business too, no?
3: Uh, sure. Yeah. In those in the case of the outdoor seating, if they if we set up while their patio is full, and ten of them decide to buy CDs, then yeah, that was a nice captive audience they built for us. But that's i think i 'm agreeing more with Paul at this point in time about the more of a parasitic relationship
1: Well, the only time I ever tried busking was when I, I was I think I was about thirteen and I myself and a friend tried to play oboe duets outside a pub uh, in in Canterbury, the town that I grew up in and uh, actually after about i don 't know we'd been there maybe forty five minutes and we 'd made the equivalent of maybe four dollars <laughs> and then the, and then the guy who the manager of the pub came out and told us to leave because we were driving away his customers
3: <laughs> uh, well you've got to start somewhere right
1: stop somewhere i haven 't done it since <laughs> all right, so have you ever experienced vocal fatigue from performing out here uh, i mean it's you know you 're out in the elements it not doesn 't have necessarily the same reverb as an indoor space
2: definitely. We're not out here eight or ten hours a day, but, you know, I think we would lose our voices if we were performing that much. We do some back-to-back performances, so we'll have a four-hour slot, and that amounts to about three hours of playing, probably. So we do get tired, especially when we're doing this six or seven days a week. But we, you know, just try to get that time in warming up and uh, relaxing in advance, um, and, yeah, the vocal training we've had has, has helped us learn how to, uh, you know, manage our voice voices better.
3: Unfortunately, the best way to preserve your voice is to avoid certain things that we have trouble avoiding, such as caffeine, alcohol, and uh, s- staying up all night. <laughs> so we don't really help our case when, you know, we are... Um, You know, being your typical fine, uh, uh, upstanding gentleman of our age in the city, you know, by night, and then being these street performers by day.
1: So you think you should be a bit more disciplined?
3: I think we could probably stand for a bit more discipline, but you know, I don't, I don't think I'm going to
1: change much. (laughs) This is Voicebox.
0: I you more than you all know. Oh, 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 thanks. God bless you, please, Mrs. Robinson. Heaven holds a place for those who pray. De moda. Got to hide it from the kids. Where did you go, Joe? Nation turns its only eyes to you. Woo, woo, woo. What's that to say? Mrs. is Robinson. Joe's and Joe's loves you gone away. Hey, hey.
1: I'm Chloe Veltman and this is Voicebox. Don't forget you can access our free weekly podcasts on iTunes. Search for KALW Voicebox and please visit voicebox-media.org for playlists and other useful information about the series. And you can also download the podcasts from the Voicebox website. I'm on location today at Faneuil Hall in Boston for a conversation about street music with Tim Harrington and Paul Wright, who together make up the voice instrumental duo Tall Heights. Tall Heights performs regularly at Faneuil Hall, one of the top spots in the country for street music performance, and we just heard a track from them. Tim and Paul, how does performing as street musicians compare to playing a gig in an indoor music venue like Cl- Cl- Club Passim, where you've played here in Boston before, or perhaps giving house concerts, which you regularly do, or going to a festival like South by Southwest?
2: Well, it's a very different interaction with audience members when people pay 10 or $12 to come see us. They know what to expect, and presumably they enjoy it. Um, out here, there are thousands of people, and you know, if only 10% of them enjoy what they hear, that can still amount to an amazing day of fan building. But we have to promote ourselves more out here. So we say we call ourselves Tall Heights. My name is Paul. This is Tim. Infinitely more in these settings than we would indoors. I think. You'd be lucky to catch us introducing ourselves once at a typical club show, um, but that it has its advantages because we we get amazing exposure out here, um, and we like to think of it. You know, if you imagine that, and this is uh, something we l- we learned from the same vocal coach we keep mentioning here, Mark Baxter. If you think of people as just of their musical preferences as of every different color of the rainbow, and our music that we are uh, putting out there is say the color blue, and we 're just trying to find those people who enjoy blue music, so those blue people out there that even if only five percent of the people out there are blue, if there are ten thousand people, then you know do some quick math that 's some good fan building for us so um, it's great it 's great for building the email list it's great for selling CDs and um, and the only downside is that, as I said, we're on that smaller stage. And um, for people who aren't blue or not as blue, uh, they can pass by and just kind of dismiss it as not worth their attention.
1: So yesterday, Tim, you mentioned that you had a bit of a skirmish with a fellow, um, some fellow musicians over the pitch where you were supposed to perform. I guess some other musicians were, were late getting to a spot and you went and took it, thinking you could play there. But then those musicians showed up and... There was a little bit of an altercation, right? Can we talk a little bit about... um, Well, first of all, about what makes an ideal pitch for you guys around here in Faneuil Hall, because there are several places where you can play, and also a little bit about the relationships you have here with other musicians. So there's this...
3: uh loose policy in place where if, if a performer doesn't show up to their shift within 20 minutes, then it's fair game to, to take it. And that's what we did yesterday. Uh, the Variety Performer showed up about a half hour late. We were about 90% complete with our setup, and and uh, we ended up leaving just in the name of keeping good relations. But, you know, the precedent is we this spot was rightfully ours. Um, so the inter-performer relationships are pretty delicate in that we all want to c- keep uh, good relations so that we can call each other on favors when, whenever we, uh, need to, uh, and also we want to make sure that, um, we are not being screwed over, <laughs> you know, so we, which in the case of yesterday, that was definitely the case. We, we absolutely had every right to, to say, no, this is our spot, but we decided in the name of, of keeping good relations with the, with the uh particularly the variety acts we should just move because we are sort of uh this is a theme i guess in this conversation parasitic of their uh s- schedules you know whenever they miss a shift we'll grab it
1: so what about the weather do you guys play out here regardless of whether it's you know snowing or or hailing or beating down with sun actually it's doing that kind of today um, or are there times when the weather kind of means that you don't perform
2: we don't perform in all conditions it's got to be at least high 50s, low 60s for us to be out here. We don't necessarily cap it on the higher end, but there's definitely a decline in uh, fan enthusiasm in the hotter temperatures and uh, humidity. So weather can be a huge factor in how well we do. But there are times when if nobody else wants to play because it's you know there's a chance of thunderstorms or it's super humid, if we are the only people out here, we can do really well because there's only one thing to watch, right? There's only one thing on TV. So um, we, keep, we keep an eye on the weather a whole lot in these months and, and it, when it's low 70s and low humidity everything is just magical.
1: What do you do in the months when you're not performing here for money?
3: Uh, we like to use the off-season as an opportunity to travel um, and tour as much as we can. Um, that said, the off-season is much harder to make ends meet because of that. We don't have this consistent source of uh, performance and income. So um, we're not quite sure what the fall and winter hold for us this year. We're we're trying to figure that out. Fortunately, we, we're optimistic to have a whole bunch of college dates coming up, which are typically uh, pretty well-paying. And then there, of course, is the threat of needing to acquire some sort of day job, uh, which we will... Uh, avoid at all costs because it just really complicates things on the traveling front.
1: Let's talk a little bit about your your repertoire. Um, You perform mostly songs you write yourselves and then every now and again there's a cover in there too, right? I've heard a a, a couple of your covers um, online. They're rather lovely. Um, Do you always perform the same sets or how much does it vary depending on the vibe of what you're feeling out here in the market?
2: We usually start out with the same four or five songs. We have a way of, of getting the set going. And we're usually pretty in sync in terms of what should come next. You know, we kind of feel out the crowd. And if um, if they're responding to the originals, we just, you know, skip the covers and, and ride out the originals. If it seems like people aren't quite getting it, um, then, you know, we'll throw in a more popular cover in there and try to get a get a nice... Uh, circle around us going because it it builds from there Um, but we don't make set lists for these performances we just have kind of a a way of of opening it and a way of closing and in the middle there we just feel it out
1: let's listen to more music from tall heights and then we'll have a little bit more of a conversation for playlist details not to mention our free weekly podcasts please visit our website at voicebox-media.org Yeah. Tim Harrington of the Voice Cello Guitar Collective Tall Heights playing live outside Faneuil Hall. You're tuned into Voicebox this week on location from Boston, Massachusetts, and I'm Chloe Valtman. We're talking about the street music scene. So, guys, is that, are there any anecdotes you want to share with me? There, what's been like your most uh, memorable moment out here at Faneuil Hall?
2: There have just been some amazing interactions with people. You know, particular people from other countries who. Uh, have just said, you know, this has been the highlight of my vacation, or just expressed so much enthusiasm and support for what we're doing and thanked us for being out here, which is, is just so nice. And um, and it happens a lot. It's really rewarding. Um, I guess other things that were really cool that have come out of here are just um, r- requests to come play at people's weddings or um, colleges, uh, Having students from certain colleges coming up and say we want you, when can we get you? So, you know, we're not we're not out here for those connections, but it's it's cool and rewarding when they come up. Um, I think uh, James Taylor came through and saw some other musicians a few years ago. So we're we're just waiting for some of our uh, you know our heroes to come walking through and and see us, but uh, it hasn't happened just yet.
1: So while busking is legally considered to be artistic free speech here in the United States, being a street musician can sometimes get you into trouble with the law. Even as far back as ancient Rome, proclamations were passed that made it a crime to sing about or make parodies of the government or its officials in public places, and the penalty for doing so was death. So do you always need to get permission from the local authorities to play and sing in the streets?
3: Uh, Yeah, I think in general here in the States you've, gotta gain some sort of permission uh... that is completely variable depending on the the city town spot that you want to set up in um, here at faneu hall as i described earlier it's an audition process i know over in cambridge at uh... harvard square it is as simple as going to the town hall and uh... just buying a pass so uh... you know there even within the city of boston there are a lot of different uh, ways that you can get yourself out on the streets i'm not exactly sure how uh, the process goes to acquire um, a T pass of performing. We've never re- really looked into that. What What's a T pass? Uh, the The T is our, you know, metro.
1: Oh uh, yeah, right. So you're saying that so so there are musicians who can play on the T system here.
3: Yeah, underground in the in this stations, and I don't know how they do that, but I've seen some some pretty good ones out there and some pretty uh, pretty odd ones.
1: Is playing in the T something you want to do?
3: I don't think so. Um... I think there's something slightly depressing about being underground, and uh, then the mentality is so much different on in a t station, because uh, people are usually from in town, they are looking to go to work, or they're on their way somewhere, probably in a rush, uh, whereas here at Fannie Hall, it's kind of a vacation land, you know, people are in, have this mentality where they're, they have free time, and they're looking to enjoy themselves, so they'll sit down, they'll listen, they'll throw you some money, and, and usually they'll willingly overpay for a CD.
1: What are your views on busking legislation in this country and do you think that that things should be more lax and and musicians should be able to play without permission wherever they want or do you think that it's good to govern this kind of stuff?
2: Well we certainly appreciate this this you know um, rigid program here and not having to compete with others or you know worry about people encroaching on our space. In general I, I do think um, it'd be nice if people were allowed to just pop the guitar case open and, and perform on the street more freely. Um, I've I, We've tried to do that a bit in Maine to no avail. To
1: no avail because you've been told to go away?
2: Yeah, or not told to go away, but told to close the guitar case. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I, I think there's, there's a place for regulation, but um, in general, of course, us musicians will say more, more music is a good thing you yeah. yeah.
1: I'm Chloe Veltman, the host of Voicebox. Today I'm coming to you from Faneuil Hall in Boston for a conversation with singer-musicians Paul Wright and Tim Harrington, who are regular buskers here, about the life of street musicians. Please check out our podcast at voicebox-media.org and iTunes. Performing on the street seems to be a well-trodden route for singers and other types of musicians to launch careers. It's how artists as diverse as Tracy Chapman, Edith Piaf, Bob Dylan, and Rod Stewart got started. Um, Tim and Paul, what's the value for an up-and-coming singer of getting out and performing on the streets?
3: Well, you know, career, just like numbers and and figures of of income aside, uh, it is completely... Invaluable in how it gets our hours played way up. You know that we have. Played so many more hours than other bands that have been around as long as us because we have this uh, place to to really just fight the good fight, play play daily, and uh, have an audience without having to promote. It, it's just great, um, and there is something to be said for you know putting thousands of hours into something because eventually it's, you're going to perfect it. You know you're going to get really close to to being a master of that craft, um, and. Uh, I'm not saying we're there yet, but we're a lot closer than we would be if, it, it, uh, if we didn't have this outlet.
1: So every now and again, there'll be a news story about some celebrity taking to the streets with their guitar or violin. And perhaps the most well-known example of a famous musician busking in recent years is the classical violinist Joshua Bell, who played as an incognito street busker in Washington, D.C. in 2007. Only one person recognized Bell, and he made $32.17 during his 45-minute set, not counting the $20 tip he got from the passerby who knew who he was. Paul McCartney, John Bon Jovi, Sting, and Bruce Springsteen are among the vocal music megastars who have occasionally been known to busk, sometimes as a publicity stunt or to raise money for charity, and sometimes just because they fancy it. What do you guys think of these uh, celebrity singer busking sessions?
2: I think it's cool it's very interesting for us to hear about it particularly the Joshua Bell case if we have a bad day i just think about that but um i think you know depending on the level of celebrity i'm sure it can be pretty humbling for somebody who's used to selling out huge rooms to show up on the street and um and not be recognized so i don't i don't know if uh you know we are Successful in years to come and develop a, a, a national following. If we we'll want to pop back out here on occasion, uh, just for a reality check, but I think it's cool that they're doing that.
1: So, so you you pretty much view playing here at Faneuil Hall as a, just a phase in your careers. You don't think you know you'll you'll continue playing on the streets? There'll be the, the, a time will come when this will end.
3: I, I mean, I I personally I, I would love it to be something that defines us, and um, I am completely open to the idea of. of of, uh, you know, street performing even even as we become more more successful. Um, of course, we have to become successful <laughs> before we can talk about that. But uh, I think I'll always love to come out and, and play a little street performing. I think it'll be more fun when we are if and when we are successful, just because, yeah, we can, it's, it's kind of like going back to the house you grew up in. You know, it has all these old feelings and uh, nostalgic moments where y- you realize how far you've come and and uh, you can feel, I would imagine, obviously I'm not there yet, but you can feel a great deal of gratitude from your roots.
1: The only difference, of course, will be you'll have a bunch of bodyguards around when you're mega stars. All right, let's take a break now and listen to music by several singing celebrities who've busked. We'll hear from Tracy Chapman, Rod Stewart, Eddie Piaf and the New Zealand soprano Hayley Westenra. For full playlist information, please visit voicebox-media.org.
0: Baby, I got your number Time you got to call me Give me one reason to steer And I'll turn right back around Give me one reason to steer Pack my bags tonight Here's one jet Who must leave or show? Que la terre bondisse autour de moi Et perdu parmi ces gens qui me bousculent Et tournée, je reste là Quand soudain je me retourne
1: This is VoiceBox, and I'm Chloe Veltman. Don't forget you can access VoiceBox anytime via our free weekly podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and friend us on Facebook too. We're in Boston today talking about the street musician scene. And we just heard tracks by four famous singers who started their careers as street performers. The set included songs by Tracy Chapman, Rod Stewart, Edith Piaf and Hayley weston Ra. I'm chatting with two amazing singers, Tim Harrington and Paul Wright, who also play the cello and guitar and are often to be heard performing outside Faneuil Hall, where we are today. Their group is called Tall Heights. Well, it's almost time for me to wish Tim, Paul and Boston goodbye and head to the airport to catch my flight back to Washington, D.C. But before I head out, I'd love to ask you guys if you could just briefly share a few tips for vocalists thinking of trying their hand at playing on the streets at busking. (laughs)
3: Um, Do it. Just Go ahead and get out there. It's a great place to try new things. The stakes are as low as possible, and uh, I just—I don't think there's a downside to getting out there and and, uh, showing the world what you can do. Uh, There is an audience for every kind of art. There are so many people in this world. Just do whatever you feel moved to do, and you will find people who love it
2: on the streets. And don't be afraid to sound like yourself. That's all people want to hear.
1: All right, guys, thanks so much for your thoughts and for the amazing music and conversation today. And I'm sorry to have to leave. It's been tons of fun.
2: Thanks so much for having us, Chloe. It's great to see you again. You are the best.
1: Voicebox is an independently produced nonprofit project recorded at the studios of KALW in San Francisco. The series producer is Seth Samuel, and the web editor is Victoria Lim. Voicebox needs your support to find out how you can make a tax-deductible donation to keep us on the air. Please visit our website at voicebox-media.org. And um, you can write to us anytime at info at voicebox-media.org. And uh, you can send us questions, comments and suggestions via that address. We've been hearing a lot of live music today, so let's take it to the studio now. And I'll play us out with a song from Tall Heights' latest EP, The Hollow. Have a songful week. <music>
0: Oh, it was white sand and deep blue waves. We were running up the shore. Sun glints on sparkling faces. I don't feel the sea anymore. I don't feel the sea anymore. To be a. To be a. We're just leaves, leaves floating on down the stream. My job, my house, my car, my whole social scene. So high.